Well, good morning. That was nice, friendly to hear somebody say good morning back. Most of the time, I'm with kids, and you say good morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, and they're like, do you have chocolate for me? Do you have candy for me? Do you have something for me? Well, good morning, and I, I just want to start this morning. I'm going to run through a quick scenario with you. It might seem familiar to you. It might not, but this is what happens to me. I'm at home, and my phone rings. And I go over, and I answer the phone, and I say hello. And on the other end of the phone, there is a really friendly person on the other end. And they say, hello, Mr. Neville. Now, my last name is Neville. But they say, hello, Mr. Neville. How are you doing? Immediately, my guard is up. Because this person knows that I'm going to answer the phone, but they clearly don't know me. So I have this suspicion that something's going on. And I ask myself, what does this person want? So I wait. And he continues. And he says, Mr. Neville, this is Stu calling from ABC Windows and Doors, duct cleaning, internet provider, telephone company, quick survey company. How are you doing this evening? Aha! My suspicions have been confirmed. I have a salesperson on the phone. I could spot it. I could tell. And I went into what I like to call an automatic response. You might have an automatic response when some salesperson calls you on the phone. Here's mine. Hey, Stu, thanks for calling. You kind of got me at a bad time right now. Or maybe you might say, hey, Stu, thanks for calling, not interested. Or you might do the classic, I disconnected by mistake and just hang up on them. But one way or another, when you see that salesperson or when you hear them on the phone, you have that automatic response. And it's not just on phone calls that this happens, it happens in stores too. Have you ever been in a store and you see the person, they're on their way over as you walk in and they say, hi, how are you today? And 90% of people respond with two words, just looking. Think about that. Nowhere else in society is that an appropriate answer to that question. My friend comes up and says, Jim, how you doing? Just looking? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But what we're really saying is, go away. We're just doing it in the polite Canadian way. And in fact, it's, it's become so automatic that it's actually worked against me at times. I have been in a store staring at products on a wall, completely unable to find what I'm looking for. And I'm clearly frustrated, and I'm standing looking, and a store employee walks over and says, sir, can I help you find something? And then it just blurts out, just looking. I needed help, but I still, it was my automatic response was just to say, just looking. And we have the response because we don't trust salespeople. We just don't trust them. They don't know us. They don't care how we're doing. They ask, but they don't care. They want something from us. And that's why we spot them coming from a mile away. We can spot them coming because we know that they want something. 
And we are vigilant in that response. When somebody comes up and asks me that question, I know my answer right away. And that's just when I'm looking for a t-shirt or a ladder or a something. So we're vigilant. But how much more vigilant do we need to be when somebody approaches us holding the word of God and they come to you and they start talking? Can you spot false teachers from a mile away? Do you have an automatic response for them? Do you just say, go away? Can you spot a false teacher? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we talked about that false teachers are here. And this week, we're going to go into the second half of the second chapter of Second Peter. That's a lot of seconds. But we're going to go in there because Peter gives us some things to watch out for so that we can spot false teachers, get our guard up, and know how to respond once we can identify that they're there. So if you'll turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start reading from the second half of verse 10. And there is a lot to unpack in here. So as we're reading, we're going to get there. It starts in the second half of verse 10. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they're stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They'll be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight, their blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable, they are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They've left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey an animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Now, if they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us to teach us so that we can know you more, but God, to change us. And that is our prayer this morning, Lord. As we study your word, I, I, I pray that we will be transformed and renewed by what we learn about you. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so there is a lot, 
But in those verses, I see four characteristics. There's four characteristics of false teachers which stand out. And the first is this. They are totally self-absorbed. False teachers are totally self-absorbed. And we see this in verses, in the second half of verse 10, all the way to verse 12. For the Christian, what is our ultimate authority? It's the Word of God, right? It's the Word of God. It's our ultimate authority. When we, when we need something, we go to the Word of God. When we need to know what God's view is on something, we go to the Word of God. And we know from these verses that false teachers have absolutely no interest in authority of any kind. They reject all authority except for their own. Peter writes that false teachers, they don't look to anything for authority other than themselves because in the start of verse 10, they're bold and arrogant. They're so self-reliant. So rather than looking to God's word for instruction, they actually spend time trying to disprove what is incorrect, what they don't agree with in the scriptures. We heard Pastor Kelvin mention that last week. He said often false teachers are known by what they don't believe is true in the Bible. And it's not just people and authorities around the world, but what Peter is talking about here is he's talking about the authorities in the spiritual world as well. So it's not just the earthly world that these people were not They had no interest in any authority that comes from the spiritual world. That's what it says. So in verse 10, it says, bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Heap abuse on celestial beings. What he's talking about here is a disregard for anything in the spiritual world, including its authority. Celestial beings are spiritual beings. In this case, he's talking about angels. And when we talk about angels, there are two types of angels that he's talking, that you can talk about. You can talk about fallen angels. Fallen angels were the evil angels, the, the, the bad angels who joined Satan in his rebellion against God. Or you're talking about the good angels. And that's why these verses are going to work in tandem together. But what they're saying is that they heap abuse on these celestial beings, the fallen angels in this case. So they're saying these demons, these fallen angels, they're completely powerless. They have absolutely no power at all. And sometimes we can think to ourselves, so what? Why does that matter? False teacher just brushing off the enemy? What's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong? Because, I mean, isn't Satan a defeated enemy? Sure he is. But he's not destroyed yet. He's not destroyed. He's still working in the world. He's still doing things in the world. Just go outside. Look at what's happening. It's clear that he's an influence. We are never to be flippant about what goes on in the spiritual world. We're not to be casual about it. How do we know that? Well, verse 11 tells us. It says, yet even angels which I believe they're talking here about the good angels, although they're stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. So what does that mean? Well, I think we can get a little bit of help here from the book of Jude. 
If you go to the book of Jude, it's just a couple of books later, and go to verses 8 and 9, you're actually going to notice that there's a lot of similarities between the book of Jude and between 2 Peter, especially chapter 2. So if we go to Jude, chapter, or, or Jude verses 8 and 9, we're going to see, this is going to sound a little bit familiar. It says, in the very same way on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people, that's the false teachers they're talking about here, they pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. That sounds familiar because we just read it in 2 Peter. And what it says is that, um, and it gives an example of what that means, but even the archangel Michael, archangel being a, like a good angel, and not just a good angel, by the way, Michael is like a super good angel, okay? So not even he would, uh, when he was disputing with the devil, the devil being a fallen angel, about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but rather said, the Lord rebuke you. So this is why it says, as we keep reading in the passage in verse 11, yet even angels, although they're stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment. It's saying that these false teachers are so arrogant that they will just fluff off anything spiritual and all authority. Why did Michael, the archangel, not... Uh, not pass judgment on Satan at that point because it wasn't his job. It's not his job. It's God's job to pass judgment on people, on things. But these false teachers, this is what makes them arrogant and bold. They're trying to take the job of God. They're passing judgment. And we're told, no, that, 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 that doesn't work. And so we need to watch this, because as they reject all authority, they also reject all authority of Jesus Christ. So we have to watch out. They're coming armed with the Word of God, but they're rejecting its authority. That doesn't make any sense. They're not living in humility or reverence for the Lord, but in arrogance and reverence for their own desires. That's what they're interested in. Their authority is about what can feed their sin. Because when they can justify something or take Scripture and somehow twist it to justify their, their, their sinful ways, then that's what they're trying to do. They're not looking for the authority. They don't care about people's expertise. They, don't care. they just see one thing. And that's the second point here, is that they're completely motivated by their own sin. That's how we know that they're rejecting authority. They're completely motivated by their own sin. Look in verse 12. It says, they're blaspheming in matters they don't understand. They're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. Peter says that they're talking about things that they don't understand because they're blinded by their sin. Their, their only desire is to feed their sin. What they teach doesn't come a place from a place where they're trying to use God's word to help change us. They're trying to use God's word to justify their sin. They take it out of context, and they're trying to justify their lifestyles. And we see that with false teachers today. False teachers today, this is a great way to spot them. 
This is how they twist God's word to justify their health and wealth prosperity gospels. God wants you to be happy and rich. Whatever you ask of him, he'll give to you. That's not, that's not what it says. That's not what it means. This is what it, how they try to justify things like same-sex marriage. They'll say things like, yeah, but the word of God wasn't written for today's day and age. God didn't know what was going to happen. So it's clearly not really relevant to how we live today. That's how they twist it. That's how they shape it. They justify their own sense of identity rather than justifying their identity in Christ because they don't have identity in Christ. Their human instinct is all that they know. And we know that human instinct can't be trusted, right? It's sinful. There's a sinful nature. So human instinct cannot be trusted. It's flawed. And unless we've received the Holy Spirit through the gift of faith, it's, we can't trust our instincts. Because we don't, they, we don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit guiding them. They're going to only operate from a sinful nature and, as was mentioned last week again, destined for destruction. That's why. Now, doing some research this week, I checked out a definition of what animal instinct is because it says they have instinct like animals. Here's what it says. It says that they're rigid and predictable. Let me be clear. I'm not a hunter. I fired one gun one time at a range and I took my own eye out with the way it came back. So, not a hunter. But here's what I understand hunters do, is that they predict where the animals will go based on the time of year or the time of season because they all follow their instincts. And often the animal will follow their instincts right into the line of fire, right into their own destruction. And that's exactly what's happening here. They're these, these false teachers are rigid and predictable in their sin. The animal doesn't use rational thought, but rather operates completely from instinct, right? And so that's what leads them into their destruction. The second thing, the second characteristic then that we need to be aware of as we see that they're driven by their greed is that they are totally lustful. And we're seeing that in verses 13 to 16. We're going to see that they are totally lustful and unashamedly driven by greed. They're driven by greed and they're driven by lust. Completely opposite of the message of the gospel of Jesus, which says die to yourself. They're preaching feed your sin. Keep feeding it. Their only motivation was to acquire people's money and they viewed every person that they came into contact with as a potential partner to feed their sexual impulses. They're going to do anything they can to satiate that. That's why Peter calls them blots and blemishes, by the way, on church. And so they, they're just stains. And they're bold. They're so bold, in fact, as we read in verse 13, that they actually do it out in the open. It says they take pleasure as they carouse in public. They're, they actually don't even try to hide their sin because they have no idea. They're, they're, they're feeding it so much. You know, it's interesting. Since I started working uh, in ministry, um, I started to notice a few things when I'm out in the world. 
And one of them is that when people are confronted with a person, a Christian, they tend to change their behavior a little bit. Have you noticed this? Well, there was a time a, a little while ago I was on a golf course, and if you ever golf, you'll know that when it's really busy, you get stuck on the tee box because you're waiting for the group ahead of you to finish, so you're waiting. And the other group behind you will often catch up to you on the tee box, and so you'll start talking. And that day, I happened to be fully, um, fully uh, yelling out my, uh, my team that I support, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I had a Bucs shirt on, I had a Bucs hat on, my golf club, club covers are Tampa Bay Buccaneer helmets. It's very clear that I'm a Bucs fan. And this guy pulls up behind me from the group behind me and he says, how could you be a Bucs fan? And I said, what are you talking about? He says, look at you, your team, you're, they're losers. Some of you may be agreeing with that right now. But he decided to take it one step further. He started to, with really colorful language, explain to me not just why my football team was a loser, but why if I follow them, I must also be a loser. So he started saying things to me like, man, what kind of car do you drive? What kind of watch do you wear? Look at all this, man, I'm a winner, I'm a winner. And he, he did it for 15 holes. Okay, those who just gasped realize that's about four hours. And with all of this language, there he is, he's saying, he's, he, he finally on the 16th hole, he says to me, so let me ask you a question, what do you do for a living? <laughs> so well, I'm a pastor at a church, and his eyes got real big. <laughs> and I was waiting, is he gonna, what's he gonna do? And he said nothing. So I went and I hit my tee shot, for anybody that's golfed with me, you'll know what I did next. I went into the woods and looked for it. <laughs> Got to the next hole. This gentleman catches up and says to me, Pastor, can I please talk to you for a second? I said, yeah, absolutely. And he says, listen, I've been saying a lot of things. Is there any way that you could not tell God about that? <laughs> now, even... Even he, who I don't, I mean, I don't think he knows God at that, but just by that statement. He doesn't understand who God is. But even he tried to clean it up a bit. These false teachers walked into church services, into fellowship, into the Lord's table of Christians who were celebrating in that way and blatantly flaunted their sin. That's unbelievable. That's what he's saying. And that's why, that's, that, that's why as, as, as you, you try to spot them, what's motivating them? Are they even ashamed of what they're doing? And what they would do is they would actually try to lure or entice the vulnerable of the church to follow them. Who were the vulnerable in the church? They were the new converts and the unsuspecting. And they would sit there and they would, because you got to remember, they're experts in exploitation. They're master manipulators. They're master salesmen. And they would pick off what they call the low-lying fruit. You don't have to do much work to get it off the tree. It's just sitting there. Peter gets angry. That's why in the middle of, of it, he says, he says, an accursed brood in verse 14. That's he's like, imagine how he feels because he's realizing that they're preying on the vulnerable. And I think that there's a way that we could probably relate to that. 
Because we feel injustice when we see people preying on the vulnerable, don't we? If you see homeless people being abused, if you hear about the abuse in nursing homes, if you hear about children being trafficked, we should feel some, some just absolute rage towards that. How could people prey on the vulnerable? Remember those animal instincts they follow? Isn't that what predators do? Don't they look for the weakest in the herd and then go after them? It's exactly what these guys are doing. And then Peter in verses 15 and 16, he's going to compare them to Balaam. And Balaam you can read about in Numbers 22 to 24. But really, Balaam was a prophet for hire. He would just say he was giving God's word and would just go and tell you whatever you wanted to hear if, as long as you were going to pay him. Remember, they're, they're generating more money. It's all about them. How can I get more money, more possessions, more sexual partners? How can I go about doing that? Does that sound like Jesus to you? Jesus says, give up everything to follow me. They say, give up everything to give to me. There is a huge difference between giving to a ministry, which we're supposed to do, and giving to support someone's lifestyle. Look at the way some of these people are living. We've got to just make sure, are, we, are they pointing you to Jesus, to the real Jesus, or are they using the name of Jesus for their own gain? The third thing that we see here in verse 17, we see that these people are totally deceitful. Totally deceitful. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm, and it's as black as darkness is reserved for them. You know, there's a great principle in business. It's called under-promise and over-deliver. Reason you do that, companies do that, is they say if we promise the if we if we promise the least amount, then even if we just come in, you know, a little over that, everybody wins, because we overdelivered what we promised. The opposite of that, what gets you into trouble, is when you overpromise something and then completely underdeliver it, and that's exactly what they're saying is happening here. It's like a spring without water, or a storm without a mist. Look, have you ever been let down like that before? Now, I was let down, and I was thinking about, you know, a way I could, I could help with this story. And so I went to the one thing that I, I, I just, it, it really, if you mess with it, we're going to have a, a problem, and that's if, if, if you mess with my dinner. Susan and I love going out to find new restaurants. And just so you know, if you ever want to know if a restaurant is good or not, and you're not sure, and they have a hamburger on the menu, order it. If it's good, likely they can pull other stuff off. If they can't pull off a hamburger, not good. So I have a friend who invited me out for a hamburger. And he said to me, this is the best hamburger you will ever have. It is incredible. It is amazing. In fact, I believe the words that he used were, Life-changing. <laughs> I'm intrigued. You have my attention. So I go to the restaurant to meet him. I walk in. Waitress comes over. She hands us the menu. I said, no menu needed. I want the life-changing burger. And I'm sitting there, and he says, man, you won't believe how good this is going to be. 
I said, okay. And it comes, and it looks okay. But I, I, you know, you gotta do the taste test. So I pick it up, elbows up, right? You don't want, you know, it's gonna leak. If it's a good burger, it'll leak a little bit. So elbows up, and a big bite. And it took me about that long to realize something was wrong. And my friend looked at me and he said, doesn't it just taste like the real thing? Right? Yeah, it was one of those plant-based burgers <laughs> that are supposed to taste exactly. You might like it. I can just tell you that is not for me. It tasted like burnt salad. <laughs> it was awful. Over-promised, under-delivered. And that's what's in store for the people that follow false teachers. That's why you've got to be aware of it. You've got to see it. Imagine in the Middle East, what, I mean, it's dry, it's hot. What do you want? You want water sources. So you're sitting there and you see there's actually a source of water and you're like, yes, water, and you run over and it's empty. Or you see a storm rolling in like we had the other night and you hear the thunder coming. And you see the flashes of lightning and you're like, yes, rain on the land. And a little mist goes by. That's what he's saying. That's why he uses it. He says, false te teachers are consistently overpromising. You can live any way you want. Where's that going to end? Emptiness. Nothing but empty springs. We gotta remember, false teachers will tell you anything to close the deal. If what they sound sounds too good to be true, it very likely, very likely might be if it sounds out of line with the word of God. And the fourth, it is offered by fake Christians, people that are totally fake, totally fake, now we see in, in verse 21, it says it would have been better for them to not, have, not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. That's not saying that they were once saved and then they, they lost their salvation. No, that's not what that's saying at all. What that's saying is they came in, heard the good news, and completely rejected it. You know how we know that? Because they live unashamedly in their sinful lifestyle. If you are saved, you will be convicted somewhere. These people lived with absolutely not one shred of evidence that they knew who and had any relationship with the living God. Now they were likely at one point seeking something spiritual. They were likely looking for something and they found a church. They found the church, but after they've, they, 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 didn't, they didn't receive the gospel, instead after they rejected it, all they saw now was a new target, a new group of people that they could take their money, a new group of people that they could fill every desire that they had. Watch for that. They're going to tell you that they've had an authentic Christian experience. But a lot like that burger that I had, I was left asking one question you might remember from a commercial in the 80s. Where's the beef? You remember that? How, we got to look at these false teachers and say, where's the fruit? 
Matthew 7, 15, and the first half of 16 says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Talking again about false teachers. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So what kind of fruit do you see from them? They're pretending to be followers of Christ, but when you look at their fruit, they are completely revealed as total phonies. Totally fake. Are they humble or are they arrogant? Do they protect the flock or do they protect themselves? Do they preach the word or do they twist the word to preach their own message? Are they building followers of Jesus or are they just building followers of their brand? Are they interested in growing your faith? Or are they interested in growing their wallets? You can tell a lot by how they live. In verse 19, it says they promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. See that they preach this freedom that they can have. They preach that Christ died so you can do anything you want. But they're in fact just slaves to their sin and their fruit's gonna show that. Well, they claim to follow Jesus, Peter says, no, 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 no. These guys, they're more like that dog that after it got rid of it, goes back to its vomit. The sow that was washed, that goes back into the mud, that's what they are. They've rejected the cleansing blood of Jesus. They go back to the filth and destruction that awaits for them. Now, as we read in 2 Peter, we realize that these false teachers infiltrated the church but they, infiltrated, they infiltrate now in a very different way. See, there you see that they're going to eat with them. They're going to feast with them. They're going to operate within the, with, with, within the church. But now, they're a click button away on a mouse. We actually go looking for them. We actually look to seek what we want from somebody. You know, I'm not really sure that I like what Pastor Rick preached three weeks ago, so I'm gonna look and see what somebody else says about it, because if they say what I want it to say, then they're who I'm gonna follow. See the difference? We gotta be so cautious, we have to be so aware of what's happening, or else we're gonna go out and we're gonna seek them. And this has become that new way for them. Look, all you got to do is Google it. Google in, does God want me to be happy? And then don't click on any links that come up. <laughs> be careful. You'd be amazed at what people are willing to do. You'd be amazed that there are people out there that take the word of God and the blood of our Savior and they use it for their own personal gain. How much more should we be, what should our response be? I mean, forget the salespeople. We got people coming for our, we got people coming for our spiritual growth. So as we wrap up, here's three quick things that we can do to help us recognize totally self-absorbed, totally lustful, totally deceitful, and totally fake Christians. Totally fake false teachers. First one is this, we have to recognize God's word as authority. 
Is God's word the authority in your life? Do you actually believe that what is in here is the authority in your life? Because once you do that and you say, look, I can go into the Bible and I can go into his word and I'm going to find out and I'm going to know exactly what it says, then when you start hearing things that are against what you've just read, you should be able to see that. That's how you spot them. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like what God's word says. Worst part is, a lot of times, it does sound. If you're unfamiliar with God's word, it does sound like God's word. They're really good, false teachers. They're really good at what they do. They're really bad people, but they're really good at what they do. So the more we know this, the more we can hear it when it's wrong. Second thing, once we know it, now submit to its authority. Actually do what the Bible tells us to do. Why? Because the more that we grow in what God tells us to do in obedience, the more we get shaped and sanctified into the likeness of Christ. The Holy Spirit is an amazing indicator that somebody is trying to hand you a line, is trying to use his word in a way that it should never be used. And so the more we're shaped into his image, the stronger our sensitivity will become to these false teachers. And the third thing is this. Stay in community with those who display the fruit. You want to know why we, get, we are so anxious for people to come back to church? You want to know why we are so, um, our hearts are for the gathering of God's people? Remember I told you the predator goes after the animal that's by itself? The more that you are alone, the more vulnerable you are to this. Because you are surrounding yourselves with just you. Or you're surrounding yourselves with the things that aren't of God, potentially. That is going to not lead well. You've got to be gathered with people. That's why we are so focused on our small groups, on our DCs that we have. If you're not in one, get in one. They are starting in four weeks. Call Pastor Kelvin. Get in a group. Get in a DC. I can tell you that there have been a lot of times since many years ago I walked into this church for the very first time. And it was a Sunday night and I sat right there. And I had a lot of questions about who God was. And if it were not, for the brothers and sisters in my life who actually showed fruit, who showed good fruit, who I knew I could go to and say, I'm reading this. Can you help me understand this? Can you, can you help me with this? Do you know how fast I grew? If I had just sat alone at home and went, well, I don't really understand what this means, so I'll just guess. Does that sound like scripture to you? Just guess? Oh, we've got to be around people. So it's our encouragement, and my encouragement to you, please get involved. Get back into gathering. We've got to be around other fruit-bearing Christians 
so that we can, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? Iron sharpens iron. So these are things that I think as we work through this passage and as we've worked through it, we can see that Peter gave us a few things. When we're listening to people holding the God of word, what are they doing? Are they, are they, are they totally self-absorbed? Are they totally uh, lustful? Are they totally deceitful? Are they totally fake? Let's pray today that God will sharpen our senses so that we can be very aware of what it is that, we, uh, that people are using God's word for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this reminder. This reminder, God, that, um, that there are predators out there. Reminder that the enemy is at work and there is nothing more that he wants than to infiltrate your church. Lord, how I, I pray that our senses will be aware as we start opening different YouTube pages or seeking out teachers. Lord, would you, would you give us just this amazing sense so that we can be protected, God? We can only do that with the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord. So, Lord, I do ask, as I did this morning, at the start of our morning, Lord, would you please just um, renew us in the Spirit this morning? If we've been feeling a little separated, God, convict us to the gathering. Lord, would you, would you just strengthen our heart in your Spirit so that we can turn to our one authority, be protected from the enemy, God? so that you can have your way with us. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen and amen. And thank you for coming this week.